0: or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Come on, give Jesus your best praise. Come on. You can do better than that. Let's give Jesus our best praise. Yeah, I love it. Well, hey, it's so good to be here with you today. And... uh, uh, I just want to first start off just by saying how much I love your pastors. Uh, your, your pastors are some of the the, the finest pastors uh, that i 've ever met, and I mean it you know a lot of times you as a pastor and a church planner i 'll have guests come in and you know different guests will say certain things and sometimes you feel like you know do they really mean that and i 'm telling you this I really mean this that you guys have uh, you 're you're really blessed with the leadership of this church and uh, the integrity. Uh, the, the authenticity. I mean, the the passion for the Lord. One of the things I've always been inspired by Pastor David is his true passion for, for Jesus. It's a zeal uh, that is contagious. And uh, I sense it in this church. I, it, I sense it in this house, in the culture of this house. And one of the other things I mentioned in the last service uh, that I've always been inspired by is uh, the culture of prayer. Um, the value of prayer that that David and Renata possess, and it's evident in this church. I mean, just the fact that your pastor is at another church probably has a lot of other things going on, trying to serve another body. He wanted to be present in that moment. And it just shows the type of pastors that you have. And so, you know, for me, my wife, she's, she's a cook. She loves, she's like a chef. And um, I eat her wonderful cooking every night, as you can tell. And uh, sometimes I have to have a friend come over and remind me how good I've got it. And, uh, and you probably don't need that, but I'm just going to tell you from an outsider coming in. You've got it good. You've got some amazing pastors. And so could we do this for just a moment? Could we clap our hands and show our love and appreciation? Absolutely. I, I'm just I, I'm, I'm under the uh, I'm under the, uh, the this conclusion that uh, honor empowers dishonor disables. And that's why I like to do that. I like to honor uh, the leadership of, of the churches that I'm able to go and to serve and to, to invest in. And uh, that's why I take that moment to do that. Uh, but I just want to tell you also as a church, uh, this is an amazing church. I have been, you, got, you just got to forget, we're going to jump to the word in a second, but I'm excited because we've planted a church in San Francisco and we have now gone 62 or 63, 60, today's I think 63 weekends in a row without having live in-person uh, church worship like this. And uh, so... I just got to tell you, I just love being here. I'm like so giddy. I'm like, I'm in church. I'm with church people. I love this. And so uh, so it is an honor to get to be here with you today. I bring greetings on behalf of our church. It's called Sozo Church. Sozo is a Greek New Testament word that simply means to save, to heal, to set free, uh, and to make whole. And that is our vision, and that is our passion uh, for the city of San Francisco. I'm originally from Louisiana, so I'm a, I'm a Cajun. Then I lived in, in Dallas. I was on staff for four years at a church called Gateway Church, Pastor Robert and Debbie, Debbie Morris as an executive pastor there, and then the elders sent us to San Francisco to plant this church. And, uh, and, and we've seen God do some amazing things. Uh, we've seen people saved, and we've seen marriages restored. We've seen uh, people get baptized and go public with their, uh, their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's been a beautiful thing, but I want to take a moment to say thank you to you. Um, you know, uh, Nathan mentioned that you guys every time you give, when you tithe, you give an offerings. There's a portion of that that goes back into uh, to association of related churches to help church planting, and uh, and and because of your generosity, you've been able to through through your faithfulness in giving, you've been able to invest in 961 church plants. This fall, we're going to break through a thousand, and that's what you're doing in the body of Christ. I love that about your church. I love that about our churches that we give because we believe that a life-giving, a life-giving local church, it is the hope of the world. It's a hope to see transformation in our cities. And Radiant Church, you are that type of church. And uh, I also want to, as we mentioned, Ark. I want to give a little shout out to uh, someone that's traveling with me right over here is my best friend, Matt Laborde. He actually works uh, he works for ARC uh, with church planning, and he also uh, moved with his family to San Francisco to help us plant uh, Sozo, Sozo Church. And so uh, just give a huge shout out to him. Can we clap our hands and show our love and appreciation for Matt? Love you, brother. Well, if you have your Bibles, go with me over to 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to introduce you to my family. I think we have a couple pictures up here. Do we have some pictures? We can throw these up here. Uh, I have uh, my wife, Jennifer, and oh, boom, it's just going to show up here in a second. I think it will. But my wife, Jennifer, and I, we started dating, listen to this, 20 years ago. Some of you looking, looking at me and trying to do the math. Don't try to do the math. Don't try to do it. I'm still young-ish. Uh, but we started dating 20 years ago, and uh, we, we got married in 2005. May 21st, 2005. So we're coming up on 16 years of marriage. And uh, I'm a rich man, I'm so blessed. Uh, married my high school sweetheart. And if you see a picture of her, if, if it pops up here, you'll see that I'm way out of my league. Like, there it is right there. I mean, it just shows you right here that the Lord works in mysterious ways. And uh, if, he can, if He can bless me, then He can bless you. If you're single in here and you're scoping and hoping, there is hope. God can still do miracles, and then we start having kids uh, over here. We have uh, Liam is my oldest son he 's eleven years old. Uh, he loves Jesus with all of his heart uh, i 'm sure he 's probably praying for us today every time I travel, he prays for the church that we go to, so he loves Jesus with all of his heart, and then our youngest son uh, nixon uh, he 's eight years old. Uh, he loves baseball, uh, so we 're working on we 're going to pray have like a prayer moment for his salvation at the end of service right there, but he 's just like me he 's like me just done over right my mom says you 're reaping everything that you sow jason and so uh, but he 's wild and crazy he 's our creative, he loves to sing. And dance and all that stuff. And then we have a little girl named Novi Sophia. Novi Sophia. Yeah, look at that. I call her my little ham sandwich. And my wife, Jennifer, she's like, don't call her that. She's going to have a complex. But she is. She's just a little ham. And she's got so much personality. And uh, we are very, very blessed as a family. Uh, and so bring greetings on behalf of our family. Well, if you have your Bibles, First Kings chapter 19. We're going to jump into it, and uh, just to give you some context and some orientation around what I want us to talk about today, uh, your pastor called me, Pastor David, and he said, hey, uh, what's God put on your heart? And we begin to talk through uh, what we felt like the Lord wanted to say to us, and um, in collaboration, he really felt like this is a topic that he wanted to be discussed today, and as we prayed about it, just felt drawn to this. You know, uh, It's going to maybe, for some of you, this may be the first time you've heard this sur- subject talked about in a church setting. Maybe even the first time you've heard someone talk about it in a public setting, uh, it's sort of a taboo topic sometimes, and especially in Christian circles, uh, but it's the topic of depression. And uh, as Pastor David and I were talking about this, uh, you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and it's a great time for us. If, if the world is talking about it, well, can't, shouldn't the church have a voice into the conversation? And, uh, and I believe that we should. I believe that God's word actually speaks to uh, the topic of depression. And uh, and so we just began to pray about it, talk about it, and felt like this is a good thing to talk about. And it's based out of what I want to share today, based out of 1 Kings chapter 19. I think there's some very practical things that we can do, as we'll discover in just a few moments. But it's also based off of a book that uh, you may not know this, but your pastor and myself, we were actually mentored by the same pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, uh, phenomenal leader in the body of Christ, very apostolic leader in the body of Christ. And uh, but he he spent two years working on a a book project called Out of the Cave, and it actually is going to be released at the end of the month. And if you get a chance, get the book. A lot of these, a lot of this content here, we've actually talked about as a group of pastors. And here's why, because we have seen uh, just uh, it's it's been crazy the last couple years. We've seen even pastors, pastors of local churches, life giving churches like this, that were that were not able to talk about their depression that they were dealing with, and many of them have taken their life. And they've left behind a, a, a wife and precious children. I mean, pastors like my age, and it's a, it's 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 kind of swept across um, a lot of a lot of churches. And and so it, we're, we're like, if that's happening to to even the ministers, uh, what's 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 happening in in our churches? What's happening in our communities? And so it's something we have to talk about. It's something we can't be silent about. God forbid that people walk through a dark place in their life, a dark season in their life, and we're just giving them. Uh, hype message on messages on Sunday that are not actually helping them on Monday. We want to preach where people are living. We want to teach where people are living. Your Sunday should always affect your Monday and your Thursday and your Saturday. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. I've simply titled this message uh, done with depression, done with it, done with depression. Now, let me start off and say this. I am not an expert in this area. I'm not an expert in this area. Um, I also would like to say that I think that there's three different things we have to understand when we talk about a topic like mental health, we have to understand that there are some things that are spiritual. There are some things that are clinical and there are some things that are practical. Uh, spiritual means there's some things that, that really it's maybe it's a spiritual attack and, and we need the Lord to do what only he can do. Like a doctor can't fix it. Uh, we can't even fix it. But there's some things that the, only the Lord can do. They're spiritual. But there's other, other things at times where it's clinical. And I believe that the Lord has blessed us with amazing people in the medical field. I know many doctors that they're spirit filled, amazing physicians. And the Lord has, has, is using them to help people in the area of, of mental health. And I believe that we should, we should not think everything spiritual. Some things actually are clinical. And we need to, be, we need to understand that. I grew up in a church environment where everything was spiritual. There's a demon under every rock, and it's just not the case. Somebody earlier was telling me that they couldn't find their keys this morning. They're like, no, not today, devil. It was their two-year-old. Their two-year-old hid the keys, right? Not everything is spiritual. Somebody say, not everything is spiritual? But sometimes it's more spiritual than what we think. That's true, too. So there's spiritual, there's clinical, and we need to let doctors do what, what the Lord has empowered them to do. But what I've discovered is that some things are not clinical. They're they're actually they're not spiritual. They're just practical. And the Lord is not going to do the practical things for us. Uh, The doctors can't do the practical things for us. But there are some practical things that we need to take the onus and the responsibility and say, I'm going to do what only I can do. Let God do what he wants to do. And we will trust doctors to do what only they can do. Uh, here's a definition of depression for you. And, and I want you to read this because you may be sitting there thinking, I'm good. I'm, I got the, the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You're like, I don't want this message doesn't apply to me. Let me go get some barbecue. Like you may be thinking that. But here's what I know is that there, won't, there has been a time where you've been in a dark, a dark place. Maybe you're currently in a dark place. This is not a prophetic word. It's just the reality of the broken world that we live in, there will be a day where, where you may deal with a dark place, or maybe you'll always be happy, but God may put someone in your life that he wants you to minister to. I believe he wants to equip you today. Here's a definition for depression. It is this. It's a mood disorder characterized by anhedonia. That, that word is simply means this. It's the inability to feel pleasure from the things that once brought you pleasure. You used to love to play golf, and now it, you don't love to do that anymore. You used to love to spend time with your spouse. And now you just feel like you want to isolate. It just doesn't bring you the same joy and pleasure. Um, anhedonia, extreme sadness, poor concentration. What do you think about that? This inability to focus, sleep problems, just can't rest. Which, by the way, restless souls produce restless bodies. Loss of appetite, feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. Have you ever felt any of those things before? It could be that you walk through a season of, of maybe low-grade depression, or maybe you just didn't know what to call it. But according to this definition here, uh, that may have been what you were dealing with. And I know for me, I'll just, you know, confessions of a pastor this morning. I've had seasons where I've dealt with depression before. Last year, I had a, a couple months where it was, it was just really dark. I mean, it, think about 63 Sundays that as a pastor, you're staring at a camera and you don't get to see the people that you love. There were some dark days. I've had some dark days, just depressed days. Let's call it what it is. People deal with it, and we have to remove this taboo stigma on people that deal and walk with this, because people that are dealing with depression matter to God, and they should matter to us. This is not a museum of perfect people. It's a hospital for broken people. And All of us in here, we have issues at some level. Turn on the person sitting next to you and tell them, say, I have issues. I do. Look back at them and say, well, my issues have issues. It's a hospital. It's where the church is. It's a place where we can come in and take off the proverbial mask. And we can be real. We can be honest and we can allow the grace of God, the power of his spirit and the truth of his word to transform our lives. This is what this is. This is the church. We don't have to be perfect. We serve God. He's perfect. We just have to come to him in our humility saying, God, I need you. I need you. I want you, Lord, to do for me what only you can do. But I take responsibility for what only I can do. But listen to this. If you think it's not a problem, one out of nine people are currently on depression medication. One out of five people have been on depression medication. Studies show us. In my opinion, there's nothing wrong with being on medication. That's not the point I'm trying to make for or against. The point I'm trying to make is that the scope of depression is very wide. It's wider than what we think it is. And there's this stigma and this, this, this like taboo kind of posture towards this particular disorder. But if you think about it, if I told you I had a cold or I told you I had allergies and I was taking medication for that, you wouldn't think I was any less spiritual. If you had a heart problem or a kidney problem and you were receiving clinical treatment for it, no one would question your faith. But for some reason in the world we live in now, we've labeled people that deal with dark days and it's caused people. It's actually caused the problem to be perpetual and people get to an even darker place because they don't they don't want to allow people to know what they're walking through and dealing with. I've been in church services before where they've had an altar call where I've desperately needed the power of God to touch me in a dark place, and, and, and I just needed joy and freedom, and, and, but I was too ashamed to go to an altar and receive prayer, and I walked out that door still dealing with the darkness, never receiving what God, I believe, wanted to do for me. Why? Because many churches, many communities, we've, we've created such a stigma around it where people hide behind a mask. And we go to church and we sing the songs and we can put on a show of, man, I'm good. I'm good. Bless God. God is good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And on the inside, it's so bad. Let's not do that as a church. Listen to me. It's not a sin to be sick. And your illness is not your identity. You may feel depressed, but that's not who you are. You're a son and a daughter of God. You may be walking through a dark day, but that dark day, that circumstance does not define who you are. And really, it doesn't define who God is. Just because you walk through a dark day, the enemy, he'll come in and try to make you think that God's not a good God because your life doesn't seem so good. But listen, what you're feeling, what you're walking through, it doesn't define you. And it should not define your perception and your perspective of God. Your illness is not your identity. I want you to hear me say this. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay, but listen to me. If you're not okay, own that come to grips with that come to Jesus with that, because even though it's okay not to be okay, listen, if you're not okay, there is hope in Jesus. This Bible is filled with people that walk through dark days, and yet they came to their God, and God brought them through it and walked with them in the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. David dealt with depression. Read the book of Psalms. Some of those songs, they would never make Caleb. I mean, they're just like songs of lament and God, where are you? I'm in a place of despair. I'm in a pit. I mean, some of these songs he wrote actually in a cave. Talk about dark days. David, David dealt with that. The Book of Lamentation, it's an entire book, basically a depressed nation lamenting. There are people threaded throughout scriptures that dealt with, with dark days and with depression. But if you're not okay, it's okay, because there is hope in Jesus. The question is, why are so many people struggling with depression? If one out of nine are on depression medication and one out of five, five have been on depression medication and it's so widespread, What's causing this? Is it spiritual? Is it clinical? Is it circumstantial? Is it something that we're doing? I believe it's, it's a little complicated, and there's nuances to it, but let's deal with what we can do, which is the practical. Stephen Lardy said this in the, the, this book called The Depression Cure. Listen to this. We were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast-food-laden, sleep-deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. We were never designed for the... Sed- sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. Add to it a global pandemic. That's a cocktail just waiting to explode. Add to it uh, cell phone usage at an all time high. Social media usage. Lack of identity. The inability to process pain in a healthy way. Peer to peer mentoring. You know what that is? It's, it's instead of looking to... Elders and experts to guide us and to be counsel in our life, we have, we have people around us that they don't have a clue about how to get through things or to deal with pain, and they're mentoring us, and they become our counselors, and it actually puts us in an even darker place. A narcissistic culture that we live in, all of these things is compounding fracture. Now, think about that. What happens is, is that if you don't deal with depression... If you don't deal with these things and you allow the compounding fracture, it'll bring you to a place where the enemy will begin to lie to you and say, the only way to, to end the pain is to end your life. One of my best friends, Justin Richard, his father was a pastor. We went to this Christian school together, and he always seemed like he had so much joy. Then he, he began into this lifestyle of just a really, really dark lifestyle, to be honest with you. And and it just got him into this place that was really he began to just question so many things. And he actually became so ashamed at the decisions that he'd made. He, he, he moved, moved in with his grandmother and would, he, he would not talk to people on the phone. He just totally isolated himself. And after about a year of dealing with this dark, dark, dark place of depression, he went to breakfast with his father, left there and went to a pawn shop and purchased a, a pistol and took his own life that afternoon in his grandmother's backyard. And It rocked me. It hurt me. It grieved me. I, I, I was in my bed for like two days, just weeping and crying because I'm like, I never knew he was walking through that. Why didn't he tell somebody? And, it just, and he made a permanent decision that was irreversible to deal with a temporary problem, a season of darkness that he was walking through. And that's what suicide is. It's a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. One. Listen to this. One million people worldwide are committing suicide a year. And it's fueled by depression. It's fueled by these thoughts of there's no hope. I can't get out of this. It's a number one killer for people 15 to 21 years old. The number one killer. Here's the thing. You don't have to die to end your pain. I want you to hear me say this. There may be one of you here today. Even if it's one person that you've had these thoughts, suicidal ideation. Listen to me. There's hope in Jesus. There's hope in a life-giving community that can come around you and walk with you on your journey Don't do life alone. Let people love you and lead you towards freedom in Jesus. There is hope for you. But what does the Bible say about this? In 1 Kings 19, it's a story of really just a man of God, a minister that goes through a very dark moment. If you know the story in 1 Kings 18, the prophet Elijah is dealing with this drought. It's a drought in the land. And there's like sort of a, sort of a contest between him, a prophet of the one true God, and these 500 prophets of a false god, Baal. This whole thing goes down, and there's a pretty powerful story. It's like the highlight moment of his ministry, I believe. And he prays. Think about this. Talk about this is a prayer culture here. This brother prays and calls down fire from heaven, (laughs) And and it consumes the sacrifice. It's this unbelievable thing. And then he's like, all right, my God's the one true God. You guys couldn't call down fire. I did. Just kill all 500. I mean, this is a pretty incredible story. Highlight moment. The very next chapter, chapter 19, that we're going to read is one of the lowest moments that we see in his story, which is interesting that sometimes some of the lowest moments come after some of the highest highs. Victory moment in your life, breakthrough moment in your life, some great ministry moment in your life, close on a big business deal in your life, and the enemy's like, I'm going to take them out. He'll try to come in in those moments. So he defeats 500 prophets of Baal, has them put to the sword. Very next chapter, look what happens. Verse number one. Now King Ahab told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Here's what she's saying. I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He just killed 500 prophets. And he has this lady named Jezebel that's like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, oh, he freaks out. He believes this ridiculous claim That he's going to die by tomorrow when he just took out 500 men. But this one weird lady has him frightened with a message that's a lie. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. We'll come back to that. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came to a broom bush, he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die dark place. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. From this little text right here, I want to give you just four things that I think are very practical. If we understand that these are schemes of the enemy to get us into a dark place, we can be aware of the enemy's schemes, the Bible says, so we don't go into a dark place. Here's four things you see that he did that got him into the dark, dark place. First one is this toxic thinking. It's interesting. It says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, you're not dead like them. And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And where does he go? He goes to a broom bush and he gets under it. The roots of a broom bush are toxic and he's laying there and he begins to just think about, oh, my God. Jezebel, she's gonna kill me. What if? What? I mean, he begins to have these, these deceptive fantasies. How's she gonna kill me? What is she gonna do? Who's she gonna send? How's this gonna happen? God, I'm I'm gonna be dead by tomorrow. And, and he's just it's just it's, he's ruminating. You know what ruminating is? It's it's uh there's ruminating animals. Ruminating animals are like a like a cow. A cow grazes. They never stop eating. Have you ever noticed that like they never stop eating? They graze. They eat the grass. They swallow it they digest it a little bit they regurgitate it back up it's called chewing the cud they chew it again they swallow it they regurgitate they all day long it's like they're just vomiting in their mouth and just and every time it goes down and comes back up it's nastier and more just toxic and disgusting we do the same thing with our thoughts we ruminate on our thoughts we we believe a lie of the enemy there no one's gonna like me what if this happens deceptive fantasies what, what if what if what if I get fired what if this happens what if my spouse what if what if what, what, what if my kids what and we and we, it goes down into our soul we regurgitate it back up we it goes down and every time the thought comes back it gets darker and darker and more toxic toxic and it puts us in a dark place we begin to ruminate and think these thoughts and they can begin to destroy our peace and rob us. So, what do we do with that? The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We can. Somebody say, We can. We can. You know what that means? Let me break it down for you. And in, in this is the Greek means this We can. It just means we can. We, ha- we have the ability to do this. We can do this, okay? We, we can do this. He says, We can do what? We can demolish every deceptive fantasy. That opposes God and break through every uh, arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. So it's, it's defying truth. It's lies and deceptive fantasies that defy truth. And it says this. We can do that. What? We can capture like prisoners of war, not just some thoughts, every thought, and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one, Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? We have authority over our thoughts. Our thoughts don't have to control us. They don't have to lead us. Our thoughts, they listen to me, they are, they are subject to Christ. He is over. He's preeminent. We sang it earlier. He's over everything. So every thought that we have, any deceptive fantasy, any lie of the enemy, we take it captive and we make it bow at the feet of Jesus. We have authority. You can do that. When those thoughts come, take authority over those thoughts. Paul believed that we are in a war in our mind and, and where your mind goes, you will follow, and so he says to the Corinthians, when, when thoughts begin to happen, take, take control and authority. Fight off those thoughts, but he doesn't just say fight off those thoughts. Philippians chapter 4, another portion where he wrote, he said this. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, he's dealing in the context of anxiety, another mental health thing. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things or fix your, your mind on such things And the peace of God will be with you. So you don't just fight off toxic thinking. You actually choose to fix your focus on things that are true, on things that are beautiful, on things that are praiseworthy, on things that are excellent. And and so you empty your thought, your mind of, of negative, toxic thinking, and you fill your mind with beautiful thoughts, thoughts from the word of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. You begin to fill your thoughts with things that are beautiful and true and praiseworthy. How does this look practically? I remember whenever we were pregnant with our third child, with Novi. Well, my wife was pregnant. I wasn't pregnant. She was. So let's be clear on that. And, and, and one of our friends, they were pregnant as well, and their child developed some abnormalities, and they, it, it was a very bad situation. And I would lay in my bed at night, and I would start to get anxiety, thinking, deceptive fantasies, what if, what if Novi is She's born with what if and what? What are we going to do? And well, what is she? And and I would lay in my bed and have these thoughts and get to this dark place. And finally, the Lord spoke to me. He said, "Jason, practice what you preach. Take that stuff captive right now." I got up and I just went to my to my office and I just turned on some worship. And I just started. I started. I mean, I was it was spiritual warfare. I started going in and fighting those thoughts off. I started quoting scripture every lie with the truth every lie, defeating it with truth. And I began to just pray in the spirit and I began to fight off those thoughts. But then the Lord said, now here's what I want you to do. Because to be honest, the peace didn't come immediately. I was just fighting, fighting, fighting. And he said, now I want you to begin to focus, fight, focus. Now I want you to focus. I want you to begin to focus on what her, what Novi's beautiful little blonde curly hair, what that's going to be like. I want you to begin to think about, think about, think about her room and, 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 and her, her little bed and you laying her down and putting her to bed. I want you to begin to think about walking her down that aisle, and I'm like, Lord, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about how much money that's going to cost, Lord. That's going to get me really depressed. And All of a sudden, I begin to see my beautiful girl's face, and I begin to fill my thoughts with that, and the peace of God came. Some of you, that that was worth the price of admission right there. You, You need to just listen to me. Don't just fight, but focus. Focus on what's true. Focus on what's beautiful. Focus on what's, what's, what's praiseworthy. Begin to focus on those things. Listen, whatever you focus on, it will get bigger. That's why David said this. Come, magnify. That's focus. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name t- uh, together. He also says, his, you know in all circumstances, his praise will forever be on my lips. No, you know what he's saying? Don't magnify your problems. Magnify your God. Because when you magnify your problems, you go to a darker place. When you magnify God, you get... a a, a divine perspective concerning your problems. The size of your problems, they don't change. They stay the same. The size of God does not change. He's always God, but your perception of him gets bigger. And a proper perspective of your problems becomes into focus in your mind in the peace of God. That's when it comes. You ever notice that you can be in a dark place and you can begin to worship God and his peace comes? You know why? Because his presence brings perspective. It does. Your problems don't change, but you get perspective from his presence. The second thing that he did was this. He isolated himself. Isolation. It will get us in a dark place. Notice this isn't something spiritual. This isn't something clinical. This is very practical. He literally just made the decision. It says, Elijah, verse three, was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. The very relationship that God had brought into his life to walk with him on the spiritual journey, to do ministry alongside him, he goes to him and he says this, I'm in a bad place. Jezebel is going to kill me. You stay here. I'm going to go by myself and isolate. This is is one of the biggest schemes of the enemy in self-deception. He deceives us into believing that that we need to just isolate ourselves from our our community of faith, from our small group, from our family, and we go into this place where we begin to to isolate, and then we begin to ruminate. We begin to get those toxic thoughts. And you, can you see the pattern? And it drives us into a darker and darker, darker place. This is why small groups are a big deal. This is why we talk about it. Some of you are like, y'all talk about small Look, I say we like I go to radiate. You guys looking for another, another staff member? I'll come here and hang out with you. But this is why we talk about it all the time. Small groups are a big deal. You know why? Because we have to refuse to do life alone. Because when we're by ourselves, that's when the enemy comes and attacks us. You ever watch the Discovery Channel? I love the Discovery Channel. It's so cool. Like, wildebeest. There's like 100 wildebeest in a field. And there's this one stupid wildebeest. He just goes by himself. You've all seen it. And that lion is over there like, he's like all up in the brush, he's looking all creepy. And he does not go to the pack. He, never, he would get trampled if he goes to the pack. What does he do? He looks for that dumb one. Over here, he's just like, ooh. Just kind of just, you know, lolly, you know, just kind of just, what is he doing? And all of a sudden, wow, he devours him. The Bible says that the devil, he, ro- he roams around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. It doesn't say he goes around looking for an entire community, a church, a, a church or a, a small group. It says he's looking for individuals who have isolated themselves. Don't isolate yourself. It's the worst thing that you can do. Here's the other one that we see that he did. He starts following his feelings. This is a man of God. That was known, Elijah was known to be a prophet that heard clearly the voice of God. And that's how he directed people. That's how he got to be. He was a man that was led, his reputation, he was led by the voice of God. But now he's being led by his feelings. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, Take my life. He's letting the feeling of fear lead him to this place. Where now he's like, I don't even want to live anymore. It'd be easier if I was dead. Listen to me. Your feelings are terrible leaders. They're great followers. Follow the voice of God. Follow the truth and let your feelings catch up. But don't be led by your feelings. Our emotions and our feelings, our heart. What we've. You ever heard that phrase? Just trust your heart. Just trust your heart. Just no. That's like anti-biblical. Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things (laughs) and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? What's, What's the prophet Jeremiah saying? Don't follow your heart. Follow God's voice. Follow truth. Don't follow your feelings. Man, if I followed my feelings, I wouldn't have woke up this morning. You wouldn't have anybody preaching. I was so tired. I was like, I feel like staying in bed, but I need to go preach, Right? You would lose your job if you follow your feelings. You would leave your spouse if you follow your feelings, probably. We don't follow our feelings. We follow the truth of God's word. We follow his voice. Psalm 119, truth's shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. When we follow our feelings, it makes our pathway dark. And we get off track and we find ourselves in a place where we're like, how did I end up here? It's because you're no longer following truth. You're following feelings. You're following emotions. Listen, your emotions are not bad, though. I'm not saying they're bad. They're not sinful. God gave us feelings. You know, that the Holy Spirit has fe- God has feelings. The Holy Spirit is grieved Ephesians four by the way that we treat each other. It grieves him. It makes him feel sad. So if God has feelings, we're made in the imago dia, in his image. We have feelings. Feelings are not bad. They're just indicators. They're not leaders. They were never intended to lead us. They were intended to be indicators, like the dashboard on your vehicle. For me, I look on my truck. When, when certain indicators, you know, out of gas or check engine or see maintenance or whatever, when that pops on, here's what I don't do. I don't isolate myself and try to fix my car. I'm a pastor, not a mechanic. You know what I do? I quickly set up a call. I go to the professionals. And I seek medical attention for my truck. Okay, that's what I do. I let the indicators do what they're supposed to do. They just indicate what, what I need, the next steps I need to take. Your feelings are just indicators. They're not leaders. Let them indicate maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's something that's spiritual. Maybe there's a spiritual attack. Maybe there's something practically that you're doing that's, that's fueling this. Maybe there's something clinical going on. They're just supposed to be indicators. Here's the the next one. The last one that he does is this, and I'm going to give you some solutions. You're like, God, this is really heavy. Can you give me some solutions here? Yes, I will. But one more. Comparison trap. He falls into the comparison trap. This right here gets me. Anytime I find myself in a dark place, I can usually trace it back to this. Comparison. And I think some of this is perpetuated by the social media world that we live in. Here's what we do. Because here's what he did. He, starts, he says this. He says, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He is stacking his reality, his life, up next to his ancestors. And, and he's specifically saying, I'm no better than them. And because he's, he's, he's saying, like, their life wasn't good. My life's not any better. Just take my life. But here's what we do in our social media narcissistic world. We compare our real life to people's highlight reels. We compare our, our body to someone's filtered image, right? you going to get an amen, right? We compare our kids to their kids. We, we stack up our reality to the projected reality of someone else because I'm going to tell you, it's not real. That marriage is not really that good. I was just talking to my wife the other day. There's a couple that they post all the time about how amazing their marriage is, and now they're separated and they're getting a divorce. I'm like, what happened with all those? And the trap that you and I can fall into is we can look at our home, in their home. We can look at our job and their projected job. We can look at and we begin to compare. And listen, God never compares what he creates. But why do we do that? And we begin to fall into the comparison trap and it drives us lower and lower. See, here's what happens. Here's what happens. We will begin to compare our relationships, our spouse, our kids, our success, our body, our home, our affluence, our influence, And we stack up our life next to someone else's, and we begin to have this feeling. This is the lie of the enemy. There's something wrong with you. This is how he gets us into the dark place. So how do we get out of it? Well, in the same text, in verse 5 through 19, I don't have time to read it. Read it when you get a chance. There's some very practical things that he does. There's some practical things that got him into the mess, and there's some practical things that God helps him to get out of it, to get him out of the cave. First thing that God tells him to do is he says, hey. I want you to eat some food. He actually gives him bread. I love that about God. God's like, you need carbs. You need some carbs, Elijah. You do not need, you do not need a shofar and a flag and a spiritual breakthrough. You just need some carbs. That's what you need. Okay. Want you to eat something. He says, I want you to eat, I want you to rest. Want you to eat, I want you to rest. You know what God's doing? Before God even deals with him spiritually, he says the part of the problem is physically, you're exhausted. You're hungry, you're exhausted. He says, I want you to get healthy physically. I think we underestimate how important our physical our physical body, how important it is when it comes to our mental health. I mean, it's proven. I don't have time to go into the science, but it's proven. If you would just start working out or if I work out, it, it does something chemically in our brains. It helps us. It, it just does. You eat fast food all the time. It does something. It's going to it's not just affecting your body. It's affecting your mind. That, that's that's why it's so important that we we pay attention to those things. Not everything is spiritual and not everything is clinical. Sometimes it's just we need to stop eating in and out. We need to get into the gym. We need to just take a walk, get some sun on our skin. Not be, remember the remember the quote earlier, the, the fast food laden, fast paced. A lot of this is proven in science. I want to challenge you to do this. If you don't work out, start walking. If you walk, start running. If you run, start lifting weights. I don't know. Just, just, start, just focus on your health. Get some rest. Some of you, this, is, this, is, this, this could help you right here. You need a Sabbath. Literally, you're killing yourself. You're, you, you, one of the reasons why God gave the children of Israel the Sabbath, it was actually to be a blessing, not a burden, because they had, they had been in slavery for all those years and never had a day off. Slaves don't get a day off. When we don't take a day off and rest and delight in, in the pleasure of God, when we don't do that, you know what we're doing? We're going back. We're becoming slaves to our work, and it's killing us. Sa- the practice of Sabbath, rest. Take, so, some of you just need to take a nap. You're going to get a breakthrough with this. Just take a nap. Play golf. Some man in the last service, I think he leaned over to his wife. He's like, you heard what the pastor said. I need to play golf. I need to play golf. To play, golf. play golf today, sweetie. What am I saying? I think that there's some things that you may be feeling the way you're feeling right now. Some of it could be actually physical. Second thing he did was this. He goes into the cave. The Lord brings him into this cave, and he begins to pour his heart out to God. Remember what he says in the cave? He says, God, all the—and it's not true, by the way, but this is how he felt. So he's pouring his feelings out. He's pouring his heart out to God. God, all the prophets are dead. There's not one left. I'm the only one. Jezebel's killed all the prophets. There's no one left. There was actually 7,000 still alive, but he was believing the lie, but notice God does, not, God does not rebuke him for pouring his heart out to him. I think sometimes we give God our praise. We, we can pray those pretty spiritual, religious-sounding prayers and never truly enter in because we're not pouring our, our true heart. Not, there's no radical candor in our prayers. I think that's what God wants. I think he wants us to just tell him, This is how I feel, Lord. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in in, in where my life is at, Lord. I didn't think I'd be at this place. Like, just to get real with God, you know, that's what God wants. He wants you to be honest with him. He wants you to pour your heart out to him. Psalm 62 says this Trust in God at all times. Trust in God at all times. Pour out your hearts to him. Why? For God is our refuge. He wants us to pour our heart out. Last year, Man, I'm telling you what, I had a dark month. I got along with God and said, God, I'm, I'm disappointed in two people. I'm disappointed in myself because of, I trusted these people and this, that, whatever. And this is what happened. I, I'm disappointed that, I, that I, was, I was not wise enough in that decision. But God, I'm also disappointed in you. Do you think God can handle that? You think he's big enough to handle that? I think he is. And when I, you know what? I had been praying for a month with no breakthrough, no peace. No word from the Lord. And when I told him, God, I think I'm disappointed in you. He spoke to me, said, I know, son. And then I felt his peace and his comfort come. The breakthrough came on the other side of me actually being honest with God. Pour out your heart towards God. Lamentation says, arise, cry out in the night. As the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. That's what he wants from us. Elijah got in there. He began to pour out his heart towards God, and then all of a sudden, as he's pouring out his heart, the Bible says that, remember, a wind came, earthquake came, fire came, but God's voice was not in any of that, which, by the way, that's the original earth, wind, and fire. The same. <clears throat> but God, God was not in any of that, but then it was this whisper, and where the lies of the enemy had been Jezebel just sending these loud messages and his toxic thinking, it just took a whisper from the Lord. The Lord whispers to him, begins to speak to him and begins to give him some instructions. But here's what what he had. Here's what got him out of that dark place, an experience with the presence of God. I want to encourage you today. If you're walking through a dark place, make his presence your first pursuit in the morning. I'm not talking about checking off some religious to-do list, and I did my devotions. Like That's good and everything. I'm talking about getting into the presence of God. I'm I'm not stepping out of here until I encounter the presence of the living God. If you're dealing with darkness, get into his presence. It's in his presence there is fullness of joy. That's where the joy will come. That's where the peace will come. It's in his presence, and he has an encounter with the presence of God. It begins to shift something. Something begins to change, and God begins to speak, and he's encountering his presence. And all of a sudden, here's what God does. This is so beautiful. God looks at him and says, I want you to go out. I've got a new assignment for you. You're going to go and start anointing these different kings. He said, then I want you to go, and I want you to find this young man named Elijah, and I want you to pull him up next. He's going to come alongside you. You're going to begin to pour your life into his life. So here's what I, here's what I tell you, the fourth thing that God did that got him out of the dark place. God gave him a new purpose and a new direction for his life. You know, he, you know and that's, in other words, here's what he's doing. Elijah, get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes on other people and start pouring, investing your life. Start making a difference in someone else's life. It is proven that whenever we walk through our darkest moments, if we will not wallow, wallow in our darkness, but we'll go and we'll find someone else that's in a dark place, that's in a place of brokenness, and we'll go and we'll invest in them. We'll make a difference in their life. We'll come alongside that. It is proven it does something to us. Begins to pull. That's why it's so important to be on the dream team. I love being on the dream team at our church. I love serving. Before I was a lead pastor, I was on a dream team at another church. I love it. You know why? Because it gives me perspective about my pain. When I begin to pray with someone at an altar, and I thought, man, things were tough at home, but I begin to pray with a, with, with a husband that's just lost their wife. or I begin to pray with a mom that they've lost a child to cancer. And I tell you what. I was, I was so depressed about my son's eczema, but now I'm, I'm dealing with this, and I'm like, God, thank you for your goodness. It gives me perspective. It helps me to get through it. There's something about it that when we begin to get our eyes just off of ourselves, and we begin to get a new assignment, begin to, begin to get a new vision, a new direction, and some purpose for our life, it begins to change our life. And I'll finish with this. I think this is, this is where we need to land today. The Bible says that Jesus, when he launched his ministry... He quoted from the, the book of Isaiah. Remember, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good, good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, set the captive free, open the eyes of the blind, declare the favorable year of the Lord. But it goes down and he says this. It's a prophecy about the Messiah that would come. He's reading this, and, and there's a portion at the end that says that he will give beauty for ashes. He will give beauty for ashes. It says this, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So while there's some things that are practical and there's some things that are clinical, I do know that there's some things that are spiritual. He says it's a spirit. Sometimes people are dealing with a spirit of despair. But Jesus says when the Messiah comes, he's reading it. When the Messiah comes, he's going to give people a garment of praise. He's literally going to clothe them in praise. He's going to anoint them with joy where there's been mourning and sadness and a spiritual attack of despair, depression, discouragement, a heaviness. He says, I'm going to take authority over that, remove that from them and clothe them in a garment of praise. Do you know what? You can't clothe yourself in a garment of peace, but you can choose to wear a garment of praise. And when we begin to praise God, that's when I believe he begins to pour his peace out on our life. And it's interesting because Jesus reads this text. He says, today, you've seen this fulfilled in your eyes. You know what he's saying? I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. The breakthrough you've been looking for, I am he. And then you look in his ministry, not too long after this, he's on a ministry tour and he shows up at an area called the Gadarenes. Remember this story? He shows up there. He steps out of the boat onto the shore and there's a man that had been in a cave in a dark place, rejected from his community tormented in his mind. The Bible says he was possessed by a demonic spirit and his family and his community did not know what to do with him. They didn't know how to help him find freedom. So they chained him up and they sent him away. They rejected him. He's naked in these caves and these tombs. Literally, he's, he's living among the dead and he's got shackles on him, no clothes. He's been cutting himself. and He's out of his mind. Jesus shows up and this man comes running and falls at Jesus' feet. He has an encounter with with the Messiah. Jesus stands him up, gives him some food. I love God. I love food. Gives him some food, physical. Jesus gives him peace in his mind where he was tormented. Jesus cleans up his wounds and Jesus clothes him with new clothes and frees him, takes the shackles off of him. And then Jesus sends him back to his community, places him in community. And he tells him, he says, I want you to go. And I want you to tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. Gives him purpose. You got to ask yourself the question, how could Jesus do this? Because in just a short time after this, Jesus would be rejected from his community. Jesus himself, he would be tormented in his mind. Jesus himself would bear wounds in his body stripes in his body. Jesus himself would be chained like a prisoner. Jesus himself. He would be in a place where he would feel all of this pain. Listen, the reason why Jesus could clothe this man, Jesus was stripped. So Jesus could clothe this man. Jesus had crown of thorns on his head so he can give this man peace in his tormented mind. Jesus was, was stripped of everything and was beaten so that he could heal this man's brokenness and wounds. Jesus He lived out his purpose so he could give this man his purpose. Listen, the reason why Jesus could do this for this man, something that his community couldn't do, something that he couldn't do for himself, something that maybe physicians couldn't do. Jesus could do it because Jesus took his place. That is the gospel. is that Jesus comes to us, whatever dark place we may be in, and he can do for us what we can't do for ourselves, what others have not been able to do, and maybe even what doctors can't do. This is the power of the gospel. I want you to bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, we just sense you right now in this moment. I, I just know and I believe that you are doing a work. We, we understand that there are practical things that we can do. We understand that there are medical professionals that there are things that they can do, but sometimes, Lord, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's spiritual. It is. Sometimes it's a spirit of despair, a spirit of depression, a spirit of suicide Sometimes it's more spiritual than what we think. And there's there's probably some people here today that they have tried medical help, clinical help. They've tried doing practical things and they can't get a breakthrough and they feel like they're like that man tormented in that cave. Just they can't get out. They can't get out. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us today by your spirit. The presence of Jesus through the spirit of Jesus is in this place. You're here. You've come to the shore. You've come to the shore of our despair, and you're standing there, and we come before you at your feet. Right now, if that's you and you're dealing with depression or discouragement or despair or just some heaviness, maybe you just feel like there's a dark cloud over you, just imagine yourself down at the feet of Jesus right now. saying, Jesus, I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself. Will you give me peace? Will you clothe me in a garment of praise? Give me my joy back. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Will you do that? Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray for peace. Peace of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace that will guard hearts and minds. Peace, come. The Prince of Peace, come. We thank you there is nothing more powerful than you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And right now, I want to I ask you this. I never want to close the service without giving you an opportunity to address the spiritual condition of your heart. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jason, I am not a follower of Jesus. Or maybe there was a time where you were a follower of Jesus, but you've walked away. But today you say, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to, I want to become a follower of Jesus for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to the Lord. If that's you, I just want you right now, just, just acknowledge that and say, just say, you can say it in your own heart. Just say, Jesus, today I choose to follow you. I make a conscious decision to surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Give me a fresh start. Give me a new beginning. I want to follow you, Jesus. Today, I give you my life. I hold nothing back. I'll follow you all the days of my life. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen.